0: By the way, Raya, uh, Rima, uh, the person who's, who started the Annex for you listeners who don't know, and uh, our common friend told me that Raya is one of the most interesting people in the world that she can make anything interesting, uh, anything sound interesting, including cabbage. So my first question for you is green or red cabbage and why?
1: Red cabbage for sure. Who doesn't want a beautiful purple thing in their bowl?
0: Done. That's it. <laughs> Okay, so uh, Raya, before we start the episode, I just want to tell you, thank you for uh, talking to me on this chaotic morning. I know (laughs) you've been having somewhat of a difficult day to start, but I'm so excited for this. Chaos is actually our friend. And uh, yeah. Welcome to Meets Muse with Muses by the Annex, where we get to hear from some of our favorite muses in the creative industry. My name is Aliyah Mahmoud, journalist and editor of Lola Jarty. Raya, can you please know about Hi,
1: I'm Raya Qasisiya, and I always struggle with this, I know um myself. I'm just here. I'm a soul having a crazy human experience. And currently I'm in a very interesting state. Um, I love Rima to death. I think she's so interesting. Um, she is. And yes, cabbage for sure. So veiny and beautiful and high contrast in purple.
0: <laughs> I've never see, like, heard someone use the word veiny to describe cabbage before. But, you know, this is a place of firsts, if
1: anything. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so.
0: <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, Raya, I kind of want you to tell us what your job title is. If I know it is hard at the moment, but do tell us what is it that you exactly do?
1: So I can walk you through like a brief history of what I've done. And I feel like it's been integrated in what I do currently. Um, Okay. The title I like struggle with most and actually quite prefer um, is creator. Um, And that's in the sense of artistry. Uh, in the sense of creative direction, in the sense of aesthetic composition, um, designing, styling, all of it. Um, in my past, I worked at, in the art world, in the fine arts world. And as well, I've functioned heavily in the fashion world from design to production to, you know, later stage merchandising and sales. So, yeah, what do I do? I'm a creator.
0: I kind of love that. I love hearing that because one of the most interesting things that I thought of while I was researching you as a human being, as a brilliant human being, was that you are a multi-hyphenate and the way that you started in the creative industry, you kind of have like this common core where you were able to use your different skills in different industries. And I kind of want that to be the topic of this episode, to try and show people that a certain skill can be translated differently because you had a very distinct education and that education moved slowly within the industry. And now you do something slightly different than what you started with. So
1: to kind of recap, tell us what you studied. I studied fashion design at Pratt Institute and it was incredible. I, I would love to know what was that like, like being in New York. It was crazy. Like I've shared this before, but my first meet and greet with New York was treacherous. I had these incredible expectations of arriving into this like insane metropolitan oasis, you know, Tron vibe. And what I was met with was August, New York with trash and dirt. And for some reason had booked a horrid hotel, quote unquote, close to to the university or college that I was attending. But instead I was just like, ended up in East New York with a bulletproof screen in front of the reception. And my mother and I just looked at each other and were like, no, we're not staying here. Later on it (laughs) unfolded, you know, on the basis of being at Pratt and meeting some of the most interesting human beings I've ever come across, um, professors and just people and environment. And it just became, it became my true birthplace in a sense to myself um it was insane you know going to class staying up late partying too much sometimes working too hard other times um meeting people from all walks of life the hippies the angry kids just it really allowed me to touch every single shadow quality and light quality I have and yeah yeah and live many lives
0: I was (laughs) this is a bit of a diversion but like um I was watching a documentary yesterday about the Velvet Undergrounds. I don't know if you're familiar mm-hmm, with course. them, but like they're one of my all-time favorite bands. And they're this just weird band that were started kind of by Andy Warhol. And like the whole documentary is was like, we were weird and we decided to go to New York. And this common thread of just people who are creative ending up in New York and somehow making it, even though they were like druggies chaotic they made no money yet they're like the most important band one of the most important bands in the industry and I just was like why am I not in New York now why am I not in squalor in New York doing like heroin don't do heroin but like why am I not being a famous rock star right now and it just gives you that itch and you're like maybe all my problems would be (laughs) solved if I was in New York right now.
1: Yeah, you'd think that, you know, it's definitely existing in squalor. I will tell you this much. I lived in the most <laughs> dilapidated spaces, one of which was Walt Whitman's apartment. That was a crazy experience. People would come knocking at our door like, can we look at your apartment? And we're like, no, sir, you-, you cannot just walk into my apartment. Thank you very much. <laughs> oh, Ryerson Street. What amazing memories with my best friend and roommate at that time, Beatrice Wyland, an amazing creative from New York City. Um, I was weird, always have been weird, was met with 10 times, 10 times weirder people. And it just allows you to embrace your weird. It's it. Yeah.
0: I have a theory that weird plus time. Yeah. Equals cool.
1: Weird plus time equals. Put it on a t-shirt. A hundred percent. Weird plus time equals cool. Yeah. Yeah. Age makes you calm down. So the cool. The chaos can go and the cool can settle in. The wisdom, the wisdom of the weird. Yes, absolutely. But New York does not solve your problems. New York City cannot solve your problems. (laughs) You have to solve your own problems. It'll probably ignite the problems further so you can see them clearer.
0: So what was that like? So you grew up in Amman, correct me if I'm wrong. Yes. Amman, for those who don't know, I lived there for a while. I'm also part Jordanian. It's... It's very quiet. (laughs) It's small. The community is very tight knit. And it's, to be fair, like of all the cities in the world, Amman, not necessarily where things are happening the most in the world. And then jumping from that to New York. What was that like?
1: You know, Amma, I was born and raised in Amman. I'm originally Palestinian. I didn't mention that. Um, But being raised in Amman as an angry, weird kid was very interesting. Yes, we come from a very like tight knit community. The fabric of our society itself is very particular. I've actually shared a lot with my friends that grew up in Saudi and there are some similarities like with the home aesthetic and the mother being very involved in the children's world and so on. But I came from a family that is actually quite liberal and very independent. Um, the reason I'm in the art world and I'm interested in art and have knowledge at all is all thanks to my idol, my mother, Suha. She is incredible and has worked so hard all her life. She is a force. And she allowed me and encouraged me to really hone into who I am apart from my society. I was always, you know, the crazy friend, the weird kid, but always still social, still healthily connected to everyone around me. Um, and at times it was very difficult and draining to understand that I can exist in a community and not necessarily adhere to every pillar they stand by. Um, Mm. and going to New York allowed me to cement that into my psyche, into my nervous system. Um, and kind of just really rely on what I was raised with as values to guide me through life. Um, And, you know, sometimes you want to ignore what values you come with or you come from, um, but you always will go back to them, especially if you are truly and, you know, luckily supported by your family, by your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, you know. They see you, they recognize you. They see that you struggle with fitting in, but they see that you can fit in. So instead of just pushing you into this mold, they encourage you to create a new cast.
0: So, that's beautiful because I feel like you don't really see that in our conservative society and you know because yeah you either are weird or you have to be like the, you you are forced into one of these two boxes and you don't people don't get it like you can do both you can do both you can still be a conservative you can still be a weird creative it doesn't mean because I chose an a career that is relatively uncommon and yet can still be a traditional Arab. It doesn't mean that I have to remove myself from societal values. And I hope like current parents will teach their the new generation this. Like you can pick and choose. You can be weird. You can absolutely (laughs) pick and
1: choose. Yeah. You can absolutely pick and choose. And I would wish it upon any child that their parents just encourages them to be Authentically and and themselves with integrity, you know, and not necessarily weird, you know, but just themselves. If mm-hmm. the most resistance I've been met with, as well as support, is from my environment and not necessarily from my family, um, which is the really interesting part, because learned behavior in households behind closed doors is what's reflected when you engage with a larger community. Um, and there's another thing to be said about being, you know, dimensional or hyphenated, like you said earlier. And this is something, you know, I've I've in this incarnation or in this life, I am a woman and I, you know, identify as a woman and we have a superpower, which is our veils, our internal choices of what we show and showcase to the people we are met with. And this is something I really try to preach to friends that want to be entirely themselves in resistance, in rebellion to what they come from. But what they come from at the core is love, just like all of us, you know, is just love unfortunately in our world, we claim that we unconditionally love each other, but we actually very much conditionally love each other because that is the learned behavior we have. So yes, be strange, but do not purposefully estrange yourself from what you come Mm. with because that is what will propel you forward. That is your edge. That is the truth about what you will give to the world what you are raised with, the wiring of your brain is what you can apply as a perspective on any creative or non-creative activation you're seeking. I love that. Again, yeah. I put that on a t-shirt, I think someone <laughs> needs to make that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, the more we isolate, the more we feel, you know, متقوقع. the more we're stuck, the more we feel alone and we're really not alone. We're all we're all one singular consciousness so support okay, each other let's
0: get back to new york new york <laughs> so what made you choose to study fashion did you know from a young age or was that something that kind of came up later
1: so from a young age i always was surrounded by my grandmother's knitting and like clothing. My mother grew up dressing up so oddly. She also went to college in America. She had the opportunity to see America in the 80s and dress up and be incredible and amazing herself. Um, I was drawing my wedding dresses from a very early age. I always wanted to be in a little moment from a young age. Um, And so when I was applying to college, It was really like, do I go study law or do I go into a creative realm that is not necessarily, um, you know, the safe way to go? Um, And when I entered uh, university at Pratt, when I got Pratt and I was like, oh, my God, I have a chance to be in New York City. Mind you, never had seen it, never met it. It felt like I was being called. At first, I wanted to start with architecture, but then I realized that I actually am very fascinated with fiber and material, and I want to learn to make art for the body. And that's how the decision was made. The, the city itself was absolutely a massive part of my education. Massive. Um, of course, there are invaluable lessons I learned at college, and there were professors that profoundly touched me. Um But New York is its teacher on its own. And that was definitely, definitely a biggest experience. Like, New York teaches you how to take hits and keep going. New York teaches you that you can stand on your two feet, even if you feel like you cannot. Um, College teaches you that you can survive. Not sleeping for days so you can complete projects. My experience at college was really unique and incredible because at Pratt, you learn how to make everything from cutting a pattern to draping it on a mannequin to sewing it yourself in a meticulous manner with, you know, advice from top tier professionals and people who have really honed in on their craft. Um, The professors themselves are also weird, you know, they're mostly New Yorkers, really dynamic people. I remember my professor, you know, she created the Timberland logo like that was incredible. That was an incredible experience to meet women that have made an impact so large on an industry, yes, shallow, but an industry that is a major, major player in in our economy. So it was it was incredible you know i had other professors that became friends that i still keep in touch with i took courses on women's studies where i had a turkish professor she also changed my mind you know recommended books that i still read till today like sex in the citadel and she just really made me realize that i can be an arab woman that's also internationally malleable, and that can create beyond her boundaries, still adhering to what she comes from. So yeah, both college and New York were incredible experiences that kind of amalgamated to to give birth to the education I had while I was there for the first four years. And then New York remained to be my teacher for six years after that.
0: I have a question for you. This is kind of something that I've always been curious. So I exist in a very small part of the creative industry. Like I am a journalist at core. So I don't get to meet creatives unless I'm interviewing them. And I'm really curious to know. So you exist in the creative industry that's more in the Middle East than international. And do the people you work with, how many of them have had an international education and how many of them just learned something in the Middle East?
1: Okay. So I've had the experience of being part of the community, the creative community in America, in New York in specific. I don't feel like you can call New York America, but we'll, we can get to that (laughs) later. Um, I've had the chance of like really meeting a lot of people in the creative industry in New York, and they come from a heavily like American background, American educated background, and they might come from Latin origins or so on and so forth. A lot of them were not educated at all at a higher level of education. Once I moved to the Middle East and Dubai and Amman became kind of centers of my creative world, I am not very often met with creatives that studied abroad, which is an amazing thing. And they're okay. incredible. Yes, they're incredible creatives that have been educated. You know, in Sharjah has given birth to some really interesting creative people and have been studied in Lebanon, in Beirut, of course. And it's it's incredible. And even in Jordan, I our community is bustling now. The creative industry is really booming and it's beautiful in Amman. And a lot of of the creatives that have that edge, that have that drive, were not um, offered an education internationally. Mm. Now, of course, there are some that were and that have gone into their education at, to very high levels. But as as a large general take, I would say that a lot of them are, in fact, from the region, educated in the region as well.
0: That's really good to hear, because I honestly had, I thought it would be the complete opposite.
1: No, that's what's interesting. And a lot of the creatives that I personally feel a sort of attachment and 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 idealization towards and admiration towards um, come from backgrounds that do not even understand what it means to be a creative, which is really unique. You know, their parents do support them now, but they come from environments that are not necessarily very similar to, you know, the society we're talking about that's in Jordan. So mm-hmm. it's, it's really great. It's really, it's the best. That's how that's how real creative um, flow and, and growth happens. When people propel it from their inside rather than what they're, they're taught.
0: Did you always know that you were going to come back to Amman to work there or the Middle East?
1: No, I am an American and I love New York City. And I really thought that I would move there, have my crazy time, you know, integrate societal pressures of meeting someone and staying in America and being very American. But then, you know, time passed and I started feeling the distance from my family um, and from my friends that felt like family. Not that I do not have family in New York City that I visit at least once a year now but at at some point my mother's my mother's parents passed away and they were living oh in Canada God. thank you and i saw the pain she felt for being far from them and how much she longed to have them closer and more part of her life we we used to go spend months on end with them in Canada but they were never part of our daily routine. And witnessing that was very hard. And that's when I decided that, okay, I'm going to be open to leaving New York City after being there for 10 years. Mm -hmm. And then I got this incredible opportunity to work at a gallery that I admire very much in Dubai. And I literally, after 10 years, packed up my things and left New York in ten days.
0: Oh, that was big. You know, yes. this this sense of belonging really creeps up on you. Cause like I yes. know Oh, angsty kid. I can't wait to like get out of this place. I wanna like run away. <laughs> oh my god. I just wanna like be a creative outside. Oh, I did everything I can to make sure I get an education outside and I studied in London and London, I've never been to New York, but I can imagine it has some kind of, like, metropolitan vibe, etc. And I genuinely thought, like, I was going to find any way in the world to just stay in London and never come back. One semester in, I was like, oh... I actually like living in the Middle East. <laughs> yes, This is really weird. I did not expect this feeling to creep up on me. And then the longer that I lived in in London, the, the longer I was like, oh, actually, you know what? Mm, this is kind of overrated. Like London is a yeah. beautiful place, but also being back home is also extremely special. And I had to really think about why was I brainwashed into thinking this is the better alternative? Like what made me lust after this? for a
1: very long time yeah you know the saying what's that, foreign shines what's foreign shines and we have this you know being you know a colonized area I think we have <laughs> this perspective of what's foreign is better what's foreign is liberty what's foreign is freedom but the only freedom you can seek is internally and you can be free anywhere you know, Mm. along the lines of consumption and capitalism, you can be free. But um, (laughs) what I wanted to say was I came to Dubai and it was very hard. Um, And I relate to you about feeling estranged in to some degree in Dubai, but not in New York, because in New York, you belong. It's a place to hold all the weirdos, like you said, you know, And so you feel like you belong. I built an incredible community around myself of people that I love dearly. Um, I have two friends that I would not, you know, I can't not see them. I can't not Mm -hmm. see them twice a year. But what I was saying was, at some point while I was in Dubai, I was like, okay, I'm going back to New York. Like, this is not working out. It's already still far from my family, blah, blah, blah. I was trying to find any excuse. And then, of course, oh, and behold, COVID hit. So COVID hit, and I had made the decision that I was moving back to New York City for the final time. And it was crazy. So I had quit my job. I was ready. We had all these weddings planned in the summer, you know, typical. I was like, okay, I'm going to do this, pack up, head over stay with a friend for a bit, figure it out again, see what I want to do and COVID hit and I was jobless, stuck in Dubai in a beautiful apartment. I will never complain about that. I had the best three months of quarantine. I must say they were very valuable months for me. I really flourished in isolation in some sense, you know? Mm-hmm. You take away all the social obligations and then you're left with with prime time to develop. So I really honed in on that. And then I had the opportunity to literally pack up after being in, in Dubai for two years and go to Jordan in 24 hours on one of those emergency flights. And so I called my parents and I called my friends and I sat with myself and something came to me that said, sometimes you just go where you are wanted. And I was really wanted by my parents. And so I decided instead of, you know, these grand plans of going to New York City, I was going to go to Amman, Jordan. And I spent eight incredible months in Amman, just living it. And not really in Amman, in Jordan. For the first time as an adult, I gave myself the chance to really see the land I come from. You know, we really look past the soil, the earth that we come from. But once you start looking at it, once you start walking it, smelling it, feeling it, it drives you forward. It gives you something. And so I had this beautiful romantic time with Jordan. And then I decided to move back to Dubai where it's so alive. It also now feels like home. And it's it's been great and exciting.
0: Okay. I'm going to like add some suspense to the audience where before we could talk about the romanticism of Dubai, that era of Raya. Let's get back to graduating. So tell me about the first job that you got out of university. What was that like? What was the job?
1: First job I got was with an incredible Japanese knitwear company called Kotoba. And Kotoba was a whole knit. It's a company that services brands with something called whole knit. Have you ever seen these sweaters that have no seams at all? They have machinery, no? Okay, no. so these incredible people built machinery that can construct, because what is knitting? Knitting is turning a single thread into a garment by a looping and knotting mechanism. Not knotting, mm-hmm. looping, okay? And so they created machinery that loops and knits yarn seamlessly and bifurcate seamlessly without stitch lines. And so I had an incredible experience working there. And that was my first job prior to my first internship, which is exciting, was with Adam Salman. And I, I loved that. We were making clothes for Rihanna. That was amazing. What was your job title at uh, Kotobom? I was at an introductory title. I was assisting the operations and I was starting to learn the digital interfacing so I could service companies like The Row. The Row is a huge client of Kotoba, and they had Mm -hmm. just started in New York City. I don't even remember what my title was.
0: A little backtrack. What was the degree? So it was just fashion design?
1: Yes, my degree is a BFA, a Bachelor of Fine Arts in fashion design.
0: Okay. And how did that And I'm guessing the job that you first got was more of an admin-ish job. Or rather, no, in communication?
1: It, no, it wasn't an admin's job. So, there are many layers to the production side of the fashion industry, like sampling, spec sheets, all of that. So, you have to be very much attuned to the product that you're creating or the product that the brand that you're servicing is creating. So, we would deal a lot with factories. I had to learn an interface of like modifying the garment digitally so it can go into the machinery. I was meeting with clients. Supporting my superior. Um, It was not just admin at all. It was quite interactive. It was it was quite an interesting learning experience.
0: And how did you get that job? That's what I'm even more interested to know.
1: How I got that job was I was out at a bar and met this really cool girl that is still a friend that got me that job. Literally, that's how I've gotten jobs through people that i meet
0: out i don't want to recommend people to go out and drink at bars because that is not the type of brand we have here <laughs> but do teach us how do you network do, how on earth do, do you socialize network?
1: i oh, i don't want to sound boastful but like I love humans. Humans are, are are a thing for me. Like, I'm very interested to talk to you. I, it's very genuine. My friends always make fun of me. My closest friends that I grew up with from Amman that now live here. And they see me like out and about meeting people because that's what you have to do. You have to meet people. And they're like, I don't understand how can you carry, you know, a conversation so... Honestly and casually and really be interested. And honestly, my only answer is that I, I'm genuinely interested with any person I meet because everyone has a story, everyone has something to teach you. And even a little bit of msayara can go a very long way. So that's that's my advice on networking. Just say it from your heart. Yeah,
0: but s- Sire, from your heart, uh, another t-shirt, uh, please. Um, so, <laughs> I think, you know what, someone should actually compile a list. Like this is the first episode we record. This is not going to be the first episode to come out in the podcast. But you know what, I think we're going to have a list of t-shirts by the end of this. Rima, yes. if you're hearing this. <laughs> Let's start do it. Uh, Making t-shirts for Meets with Muses. Um, you know, the whole, okay, so I am... I I am somewhat of a shy person. I don't really like to go out. I'm reclusive. I like staying indoors, even though I'm a journalist and I talk to people for a living. But I somehow only most of the jobs that I've gotten have been out of talking to people and friends and family and almost never because of I applied to someone Or I apply through LinkedIn. LinkedIn has never got me a single job. Nothing.
1: Not a single (laughs) digital platform has got me any interesting opportunity. I'll tell you that much.
0: I mean, my blog did, to be fair. Like people used to communicate. Oh my God, can I tell you a funny story? Yes. Yes, tell me a funny story. (laughs) So I... For the people who would only know me through the annex, my name is Ali Mahmoud, <laughs> as I've said before, but also I have an online magazine called Lawla Jarty. And it started off as a really small community. And at some point, someone DMs me and they're like, oh, I really like what you have on this page. Would you be interested to do copywriting for me? And I'm like, OK, sure. Let's talk. What do you have to offer? And she's like, oh, I want this, this and this and this. And she's like, and uh, as payment, I can offer you therapy excuse me <laughs> and the woman is a is a therapist she's a licensed therapist but not a psycho like a, a psycho yes those therapist. ones are
1: better those ones are better and basically
0: she wanted to offer me therapy sessions for my services like how'd you feel about that for my services i am that's like imagine your boss being your therapist and your boss
1: oh wow i really did not make that link
0: not as in, I will pay you for a separate therapist. No no, yeah. no. as in, I will no. give you therapy sessions. I will sessions. be your
1: therapist, but you have to re- Interesting. I guess you turned down that job.
0: Oh, oh yeah yeah. Yeah yeah, like 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 that. Like I that. See. Red flags. I get red
1: flags. everywhere. <laughs> red flag across the board. Um, I forgot what your question was. How We're do I go about- out How do I push First myself of all, to- dress
0: up? Dress up. My first introduction to Raya is her Instagram. Like the way I am. Okay. Queen of uh, elevator mirror selfies. Queen <laughs> of dressing up quirky yet high fashion. Queen of draping her own scarves. I yes. mean. <laughs> I yes. I love dressing your sense of <laughs> style. I love your sense of style so much. I love your archives. Loki want to steal every McQueen thing that you own. Um. <laughs> I mean, like if just look good, step one, put look on good. lipstick.
1: Make it an event for yourself. You know, when we touched this really lightly, I was like, I, "I, it was you that I said this to. I was like, every day is a movie. And every day is an opportunity for you to repeat or evolve. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Going out is a chance to evolve. Leaving your comfort space is a chance to evolve. Think of it like that. Be like, I'm the main character. Of course, everyone's their own main character. <laughs> what does this main character want to do today? Definitely wants to have a very interesting scene meeting some interesting people, no? And then you just throw yourself out there. Just trust trust that the world will, will bring you what you seek. It won't yeah. bring it when you're sitting on your couch.
0: To be fair, like a lot of the friends I met are friends online. <laughs> so even Rima, who's currently my boss... I became friends because I was making fun of someone in a wedding online. And then she started following me because of that. And then we became friends. And then we, after this friendship, I started my podcast. And then she started listening to my podcast. And then she hired me for this. So essentially, Absolutely. I was making fun of someone on a wedding online.
1: <laughs> you were trolling. Later. You were trolling and Rima <laughs> caught you. She was like, okay, let's troll together. <laughs> One. Two interesting facts. Rima is also a friend that I met very briefly in person and our relationship flourished over the phone and online. And
0: yeah.
1: So like what, what I, what I want to like jump off of what you're saying is that me pushing you to go out and network does not at all mean that I'm not telling you to socialize on the internet. Instagram is where I met a lot of incredible people in my life, but it's great to bring them into your reality. You know? Yes. That was yes. absolutely not me dismissing the internet because I love it. I, I mean, love having
0: it. an online, I don't want to call it an online persona, but having like an online presence is yes. really important. Yes. I mean, it's, the thing is, especially especially in the Arab world where like, like even in Saudi, like going to a bar is not really an option. It's a dry country. Also don't drink. Drinking is not good for you. Please don't do that um but like just the idea of going out is still like a new concept here like we don't really do that yeah creatively online have you been on saudi twitter
1: (laughs) it's insane
0: it's insane have you been on saudi tiktok insane
1: i don't think i've been on saudi tiktok i'd I'd love some recs though It's wild. It is wild. Yeah, I want to see.
0: It's almost every single person is anonymous with a K-pop profile picture, (laughs) K-pop personality singer profile picture. But it's like it's it's such an interesting universe. But definitely exist and communicate with human beings. Like doesn't have to be physically in real life. But like online is very important because, again, I'm like extremely shy to talk to someone in like face to face. But I flourish in my real existence online. Like I do so much better in that space. And I love most of my jobs talking to people online.
1: That's that's amazing. I mean, you look at my Instagram and you see how much I love online stuff. Early on, you're younger than I am early on in the Instagram game. What what the Internet why the internet became something interesting to me was it started shifting, unlike right now, I'm not going to talk about it. It started shifting the perspective of beauty into uniqueness and imperfection. And that is where I found my solace on Instagram. And that's where I networked with a lot of people, especially when I was in the States, in New York. So, yes the internet is important. It doesn't have to be the most important, but it is now an extension of how we live and present ourselves. The Definitely. one little thing that like makes me uncomfortable, and it's something I posted a story about recently, is that the only thing that I dislike about my social media existence is that people start taking it as my CV to my entirety, which is very inaccurate. It's what you see on social is not entirely who I am. It's actually an open diary of selected moments and curated aesthetics for your viewing pleasure and mine. I'm, you know, that's it. Um, I think I want to conclude that thought there. I don't know if it made full circle. I will add one more thing.
0: Like for me, if I was two years older... I like I was born two years earlier and didn't have access to the Internet in the same way, my personality would have been completely different because like I like I went to a very when I like first on early on in my years, I went to a very, very conservative Saudi school and like there weren't even though it was a really big school, there were so many people there, but like you weren't hit with so many different inspirations and creativity and things that will challenge your eyes and your mind. So if it weren't for the internet, I wouldn't be the person I am today, including the taste in music, like the introduction to art, the introduction to the creative world. So like the internet to me was my museum because again, growing up where I grew up, like there weren't really, you can't walk out in the street and find like interesting things to challenge your perception of beauty. It was just like a very streamlined life yeah, and The internet was just so important for me because like, again, like you romanticize New York, but like the internet was New York for me. Tumblr was my New York. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Absolutely. It's insight. It's insight. It's absolutely insight. I want to say something to you. I don't know. You can disclude it, but there's a lot of learning and beauty and inspiration to be seen in the mundane. So I'll challenge you to take a walk and try to peep that. You can send me WhatsApp pictures of what you find interesting in the mundane. And once you start seeing the magic in the mundane, life just kind of becomes glittery everywhere. I'll take that.
0: There's currently maybe like a cat in like the corner of the room. You can't see him, but he's currently just like staring at a bird. I'll just call like that's my inspiration of the day. The cat's called Zatir. He's kind of
1: famous on. Habibi, <laughs> Zatar. Can we see Zatar? Tell your Palestinian. you
0: Palestinian right there. Oh,
1: <laughs> Zatar. That's it.
0: Okay, back to your job. Kotoba. What was your next job after that, and how long did you stay with them?
1: God, I have to. I feel like I have to pull up my CV. After Kotoba, I like. I don't even know. I quit. I started working with Yola Cologne, who did Furs and Exotics, a little controversial. I loved working with her. I met the most incredible woman that was part of that project called Munabunara, who is till today um, a mentor, I would say. We're born on the same day. She's incredible. Um, that was an experience, also because it was a very small brand, and we were producing in New York. So I had a much more hands-on, wearing all the hats, doing everything from designing to production to fitting to sales to our pop-up shops. That was interesting. Then through that, I met one of our amazing clients and a friend till today, Joan Hornig, who did jewelry where all the proceeds went to philanthropic efforts, which was incredible. So this is where I started shifting from just. Fashion into, you know, jewelry, accessories. And then later on, I found myself back in the art game. I do want to mention that from 2010 till today, there has been a red thread of me aiding my mother and learning from her through her art gallery. And Mm -hmm. so even though we're talking about these jobs that I took and and so on and so forth. There was always an effort that I was putting forward in the art world um, from a dealer's perspective and from a gallerist's perspective. So it's not a very linear history of employment that I have. After Joan, I started working with my mother a bit more. I left Joan and then I shifted into aiding my mother more and creating my own work as well. I always created throughout. I'm actually very shy of what I personally create and we'll get to it soon, but that's what I'm honing in on now. Um, I started working with my mother at the gallery more, started going to art fairs, started to be, started started going to art fairs, started meeting people. And at Art Dubai, I met Samia Halabi, who is, how do I even celebrate a woman like that enough? A Palestinian fellow, a woman of of mabadi, you know, of true values, of true perspective, of true creative output, of knowledge. She is a very, very pivotal part of my history and life until today is an incredibly big supporter and dear friend as I am to her. I studio assisted her for about two, two and a half years. And that was a magical time. It was tumultuous internally, but in an employment and in, in a perspective of being a professional in the world, it was something that no one around me had ever done. You know, it was casual. It was different. I was getting my hands dirty. I left clothing at her studio that I would just change into and I would just look like a worker. And it was incredible. We worked. We worked most of the time. I had the pleasure of, you know, helping her archive, and it was both intellectually stimulating and physically stimulating. It was. It was an experience to to
0: But what is that really like? It's like? Every single time you're telling me about a job experience, like the job title is slightly different. The job description mm-hmm. is slightly different. How do you market yourself into getting like these specific jobs? Because I'm really fascinated. Because for me, like, for example, journalist, I'm creative. I'm good writer. I'm good researcher. And like, these are the common threads. And then okay, whenever I'm entering any kind of job. But what's your my superpower? My ability to turn something extremely boring boring with as an in information into something extremely fun and creative.
1: There you go. So this is your red thread through your past. That's your superpower. Yeah. Okay. My superpower is my eye and my mouth. <laughs> so I have a very unique perspective and that has come from education and meeting people and seeing things. And so I really market first of all my knowledge in these varied industries that's quite Mm -hmm. thorough paired with my eye and my skill of packaging things verbally and social interaction and that's how I get myself into new opportunities it's your superpower that's you just hone in on it and you show the people what you have even if you're insecure what's the worst that can happen they say no Okay. So then you really didn't lose anything. You actually just learned something. Okay. Yeah.
0: I like that. This will be the trailer
1: for the episode right there. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad. I'm glad that there's, there's, I hope there's interesting stuff being said today.
0: I mean, I know for a fact that there will be some educational moments and most importantly, entertaining moments. But okay, and that was your way into Dubai. So I'm trying to kind of throw somewhat like draw somewhat of a map for oh, someone. Wait. yes. So
1: so the map is inaccurate. That was not my way to Dubai. That was my way into shifting from design into art. Industries. Got so it. going from fashion to fine arts, right? Those are the two industries that kind of I have been bouncing between. And Mm -hmm. Samia is based and has been based and her studio is in New York City. So I am still in New York there. The gallery that I told you I've assisted my mother in throughout is based in Amman, but that was always done remote. I Mm. only flew to certain things when necessary, right? So at that point, I'm still in New York, but that is the conclusion of my New York. After being with Samia for quite some time, I decided to look at my options, my grandparents passed away. And I started really thinking, my grandparents passed away at the end of me being with, with Joan, with the jewelry job. And I started looking at opportunities in Dubai because I was like, okay, I'm going to leave New York city, you know, the metropolitan city of the world. Why don't I go to a metropolitan city in the region, a booming city, an interesting city somewhere I do not know very well. Mm -hmm. and I was introduced to the gallery that I moved to and my boss that I had at that time, who was also an incredible woman. Very interesting. I've only had female bosses and they're all, there's there's something incredible to be said about each and every one of them. Um, And I was introduced to her. I interviewed with her and got the job And in 10 days left to Dubai. So now I shifted to Dubai at the end of 2018.
0: By the way, I have that common as in most, not most, I think all of my bosses have always been women. And it's weird because like I exist in an industry that is mainly men, but I've only had female bosses.
1: That's incredible. I think that's something to celebrate.
0: It is something to celebrate. Not dealing with men is always something to celebrate, for sure.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's something to <laughs> be <controversial>, said about... <laughs> but like... Yeah, there's something to be said about having female bosses also. It can be quite tough. Um, but having male bosses must feel very disconnected. Um, I wouldn't
0: know. I genuinely
1: never yeah, had a male I boss. Wouldn't, I wouldn't know either. I guess so... There's something to be said about advocating for the masculine... I'm just gonna put that out there but i've never had an experience to having a boss that's a male and i've had an, an interesting colorful experience with having female bosses
0: i mean naturally <laughs> yeah. just on databases of course it's going to be yes interesting yes Okay, now we can get back into like the romanticism of it all. The I know you guys have been waiting for this for a second. But like, do tell me, do tell me like what is outside of like the technical aspect of your career, where you had to deal with clients, where you had to deal with bosses, where you had to deal with marketing, all of these things, I really want to understand the core of like, how do you develop your eye superpower, if we can call it that? What like what were you saturating your brain with to be able to turn art and beauty into a logical thing to be able to merchandise and to be able to sell? Like, how do
1: you teach yourself that? You choose to see, like I said, the magic and the mundane, and then everything comes off as incredible. But how do you train your eye? You see. You, you. Digest visually you learn composition and you learn colors and you look at how nature grows and you find the repetition in the things around you you look at material you touch it you it's a very tough thing you kind of just live i guess that's how you train your eye that's how you train everything you you live with a perspective that i want to see and mm. then you are able to create
0: but you know i i really do struggle to understand these things because again like i try to saturate my life with as much beauty as possible and i'll get back to that documentary that i was watching yesterday and i genuinely like i was looking at my friend and i'm like it's so it's um the velvet underground on apple plus um i've only finished one episode And like, I was like, they were trying to make the movie into very artsy fartsy, Andy Warhol inspired type of movie. And I was just staring at it. And I'm like, I feel like I'm being trolled. Like, you know, sometimes when someone's trying to make creative art and you don't understand it and you just feel like you're in the episode of The the Simpsons where you're like, am I supposed to like, am I in on the joke? But I don't get it. And I like every single time I'm in that space in an art gallery and whatever. And I'm just trying to understand what the hell am I looking at? And my brain is like zeroing in, like zero, nothing. I do not understand that. And I'm trying to understand that language like develop it. But still, so far, nothing.
1: So for you as a person that has an affinity to words, lean on critics lean on manifestos of artists, lean on, yeah, lean on, Samia, for example, has written immaculate things about perception and object and growth of color and shape. There's a lot of, if that is your means of learning so you can unlock your eye or your mind to see, then channel through that, you know? You know what? Actually, I just thought of it now. Susan's, uh,
0: Susan Sontag's uh, On Camp.
1: Yes, that became very popular for a moment. That unlocked yeah. a lot of people's perception.
0: Yeah. I mean, Susan Sontag is one of my all time favorite writers and like her relationship with Annie Leibovitz and like her commentary mm-hmm. on culture has always been something that I tapped into. And it helped me understand the concept of camp. Definitely. Yeah. I see where you're yeah. going with that. Do you have you any recommendations I mean? on writers?
1: on writers. I'm so bad at this. I can send you the links I have in my
0: bookmark. (laughs) (laughs) We will add them to the description for anyone who's interested. We will add them to the
1: description. Um, But yeah, find the way you learn. Grasp onto... Because Creation is not only visual. You're talking to me and I'm visually heavy, but creation is not only visual. Creation is also verbal. Language is an art form. And Mm -hmm. language is an art form in which you heal yourself, you communicate, and you learn, mostly, right? We can use auditory, of course, but that's still language. It's still based on a structure of words that's telling you something, that's telling your brain to see a new perspective. So, yeah, read, read about it so you can see it. Also, one thing, Ali, I want to tell you is that a lot of people are like, okay, I go, I see squares painted on top of each other. I don't understand it. Have compassion for yourself for not being placed in a position to understand why that may be relevant. Be gentle with yourself. Read the blurb next to the painting. Allow yourself to find the routes and the pathways to get to what you're seeking to learn.
0: I'll take that. I, I'm not gonna lie, I do feel extremely insecure whenever I'm in a museum. I do feel like a bit like overwhelmed and what I do. So whenever I enter a museum, I literally take my phone out and I start making memes out of the art. And that is my way of experiencing museums. I don't know if anyone who's been on Lola Jati, but it's something that I always do. Like whenever I go in a museum, I turn it into a meme. that sounds great i I, it's i create i guess i'm gonna call that it's
1: that sounds like you're making art
0: i am an artist with a capital a thank you very much exactly it's about time i get recognized
1: (laughs) exactly
0: so now tell us more let's get back into being in jordan i am personally extremely interested in this whole idea of getting back into your roots and i personally Like just now, like the idea that the most of mainly this conversation is happening in the English language, it's frustrating me not because I think I'm weak in Arabic, but personally for me, it's because I am struggling to find the words to talk about creativity in Arabic, even though Arabic is a very creative language to me. It's the most beautiful language in the world and just reading a single line of Arabic poetry alone is like being thrusted into the universe and all its complexities because of just how leveled it is and how beautifully constructed it is. But when it comes to common creative language, how to talk about the industry, how to talk about two people in the industry, I keep finding myself leaning more towards English and now that I'm just completely accepting that I want to exist in an Arab space in terms of my job, in terms of um, just living my life and continuing to live my life, I'm still fr- very much frustrated at not being able to just find the
1: Arabness of it all. <laughs> I don't know if, if that necessarily makes sense. It does. It very much does because even you saying it, and I'm thinking in my head, okay, we can speak Arabic. Yeah, we can. We can speak Arabic, but how do I tell you? the ال- terminology that I have بالإنجليزي English and Arabic is i and I so the in creative um,
0: industry is a big like data to like properly
1: think about industry, it aslan, ال- industry what is the industry in Arabic it's hard it's hard it's this is a this is a very big wound that I share with you I have to say I have I would say I have you know good diction over the English language but in Arabic, I can communicate casually very easily. But once it comes to industry sensitive terminology, I blank. I was yeah. going to tell you, like in 2016, I had an incredible opportunity of honing in to my skill. That is what I am currently working on developing further, where I had the chance to collaborate with an incredible architect from New York to build an insane installation at Amman Design Week. And I was asked to be interviewed for TV in Jordan. And they were like, And I panicked because Mm -hmm. I was like, how am I going to come off? Intelligent and that's not okay, so ever since then, and ever since being in in Buhari, also, I started speaking Arabic more, and it's gotten better, but it's mm. still not as as easy to communicate it as it is in English and i I'm, I'm trying to think why that is is it because we attempt to cater and be adjacent to, to the international market? Is that why
0: for me personally, since I exist in a more literary world um alam Adabi بس اني اتكلم مع الناس It's slightly easier. It's slightly easier just because Arabic like when I'm talking about language and politics and social sense it works. It works because Arabic is very like is obnoxious when it comes to language and it's very it's incredible it is incredible but like the like the diction exists very comfortably because you know when you talk about literature you don't have to like find new words to discuss it in arabic but when it comes to like the creative industry and it's very vagueness we need to start like subscribing to yes. westernized words. French, like I speak a bit of French. And whenever we want to talk about social media, whenever we want to talk about um, something to do with, again, like creative spaces, we keep finding myself like switching to an English word every now and then. Yes. And that really frustrates me. Even now when I talk to people who do not speak English at all, they still use very specific English words when they're talking about these things. And regarding like kind of hope, like wanting to be adjacent to the Western world, I have a friend who's currently working in a gallery, a local one, I do not want to mention it. And she's working on writing an article for a publication. And we keep brainstorming this idea of trying to understand existing in a booming Industry and that didn't exist before, and finding yourself struggling with internalized orientalism. I'm just gonna throw
1: that phrase out there. We're just gonna put that out there,
0: and not understanding when you are doing work to solely improve and move forward and challenge yourself, or exclusively to gain the approval of the Western gaze. Yes what is the difference how are we how do you know that you're making work that is quote unquote good that is progressive without having the foundation of understanding what is good in the artistic sense and then also trying to stay true to your eastern self it's so complex and just the idea it's that very we have complex. these kind of conversations in English tells you a lot and I'm personally extremely struggling cuz like I'm currently I'm being really frustrated with how westernized the art industry is even though I'm not very well versed in it but from a, like a very shallow outside point of view I keep seeing critics who are more non-era people who Historians who are non Arab, um, people who, like, for example, speakers in a lot of these events tend to be not Arab, but they are the experts. Yes. On these things. Or Muslim people who go to an American university to study Arab studies or people who go to like London and SOAS to study um, Oriental studies and all of these things, like not yes. gaining the actual knowledge from the eyes and ears and mouths of Arabs, but rather go outside of the region to the colonizers to get that knowledge. How are we like, how do you deal with that? Especially and I want to hear that also like hear you tell me more about your journey when you were back in Jordan and back on your soil. Like, how did you change? How was your brain moving? That's a big question. That is an extremely loaded question. I expect an essay in two hours with 7,000 yeah. words. <laughs>
1: it's, it's a lot of food for thought what you're putting out there. I do want to go ahead and say that the birth of creation comes from our soil. The origins of abstraction come from Islamic art. You know, artistry documentation in artistic form comes from our soil. It was just that we are, we were left in such political and social turmoil that we are constantly wrapped up in that, ignoring the fact that we are the creators. And this is a really big statement and there's an incredible essay by Samia Halabi Mm -hmm. on how abstraction originates from Islamic art that is incredible but to bring it back to modern day and especially with me still speaking in English and still comparing myself to these Soft sculptors, for example, that are masters that are from the West and and seeking them as, insp- as part of my inspiration. It does not mean that I remove myself from what comes from my land. Um, I'm still in flux. I'm still changing. I am still recalibrating and still trying to integrate all that is my Arabness and all that is my history and my lineage and our shared lineage. Being back here in Dubai, I wouldn't necessarily say that it's what fuels my wanting to find my Arabi, let's say. But being back in Amman on my soil for an extended period of time and feeling the nature I come from did leave an impression that the way to evolve is to come from what we currently have and grow it. And that's why, for example, I really like modernizing our crafts, you know, our cross-stitch. My installation literally came from cross-stitch, which is a tradition that women did in Palestine. They sat together and they stitched their beautiful sobes together then digitization plays a big role. And I feel like the only innovative thing to do right now is to look at what we come from purposefully, to purposefully seek what we come from, look at what we do and propel it forward. And digitization is able to do that for us. So I keep talking about this installation. It's called Entrelac. You can Google it. It's really, it's it's a a trophy that I hold very dear and near to my heart. Can you just write, tell us our spe- the spelling? Yeah, Entrelac, E-N-T-R-E-L-A-C. I hope I did mm-hmm. that correctly. I, I'm not I a will good also spelling bee. It's
0: in the description below, but for, for ease of uh, searching.
1: I think, yeah. So you're telling me how it changed me. I think that experience in support of Abir Say Ali and Nader Tehrani, the architect that I worked with, and of course, the incredible Nohal Aqtash, who headed 19 women that were employed to create this installation in Jordan. Um, this is where I changed. This is where I grew. When I understood that the innovation I can achieve is at looking at the craft of what I come from and where I come from. And so I am in love with knitting. I knit. And so at the end of my college experience, I really took in knitting. And I developed this technique where I would knit, split, and cross the knit within itself, right? With kotoba and thinking of whole knit and all of that, it was very interesting to me to do something like that. Bifurcate, cross over, and emulate a stitch that has been part of my psyche from when I was born. And then with the help of this architect, And digital things, and blowing up, and creating proportions and large human scales, we were able to take something that is deemed as taqlidi into something that is extremely modern and is an experience that is. Very totalitarian, and that reminds you that we do not have to remain in what was, but we can take what we have and propel it to the future. And that is, that is where the change happened for me. It was actually a bit earlier on. Um, you know, life comes and goes, and you go through through experiences and 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 obstacles, and you lose sight, but you come back and you regain that that vision. Um, and so, I hope. I hope that answers your question. I hope that I can it develop that There's, forward. Yeah.
0: Yeah. There's like this um, common thread with Palestinians. I mean, actually, that's a common thread with any immigrant who had to leave their country due to um, unfortunate circumstances. It's like I get that like, I have like this kind of crisis internal one where I am like ethnically very Palestinian from both sides of my family. But my dad had to leave to Jordan and my mom had to leave to Saudi Arabia. And I'm kind of left with this really weird disconnect with my soil Mm -hmm. in very physical sense Mm -hmm. and trying to understand how do I manifest my existence and how, what is my identity as a Palestinian woman when Mm -hmm. I only know my land through its vague stories and ghosts rather than being there physically and yes the creative the creativity in art and words and cooking and cooking smells and clothes and all of these things is what i call home
1: yes yes and that that is that is a form of home that is a form of home i mean you and i both cannot really return to our land and truly Mm -hmm. experience it as it's currently aggressively occupied um but jordan jordan was part of our land before all of the amazing stuff and it's close enough so it's close enough, (laughs) you know (laughs) smelling it it feeling it and and recalling what we cannot necessarily firsthand experience is, is is still a gateway yeah isn't it yeah
0: yeah Raya, I can't believe we have not talked about this yet, but how did you start I And what is Milkina? Oh my God.
1: So Milkina was actually started by Nadia Azmi, my love. She's the founder. Um, prior to that, Nadia and also, I- Also, what is Milkina?
0: Can you please like describe it for our Malkina. audience?
1: It's Milkina in Malkina. An Egypt. As in yes. our own.
0: <gasps> our own. I've been pronouncing it incorrectly.
1: No, you've okay. been pronouncing it with an Egyptian accent, which is where Nadia originally hails from. Oh. Yeah. So milkina is actually Mulkina, but in Egypt with the accent and the dialect, it's milkina. And um, it was a play on that wording. And, you know, design came and the eyes duplicated and it became a thing. And again, mm-hmm. this is another thing in English. But to be fair, uh, Nadia is a diaspora Arab with Egyptian origins and she is, she's incredible. Nadia and I met initially through the internet and through another effort that we had prior or she had prior began called Minazin. Minazin concluded its time and Milkena came forward as a creative agency that is here to shed light on everyone. It didn't exclude Arabs from... Westerners. It was a platform to celebrate any interesting peoples that are doing something, right? And so that's how Milkina came about. It was a chance to celebrate us regionally alongside internationally at an equal platform. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of facets to Milkina itself, but um, we have you know, forward facing and internal work. I function as the creative director. Um, we function now as project bases and we're very selective, which is really great for us and natural and honest. Um, and the creative direction that I mostly am contributing to now um, is our project bases, which is usually rebranding, editorial shoots, anything that needs research and a positioning creatively. Um, at first, I was aiding a lot with our beautiful Instagram feed that now runs on its own. and. Um, it's a massive effort. It's a massive effort to celebrate self-expression. Let's put it that way. Is
0: that your now? Because I know you're going through like an interesting shift.
1: So there's always there's always an undercurrent of projects happening with me. Um, I don't stop this lifeline of spontaneity and taking on projects every now and then. But my now currently, of course, Milkina project base is a now. Wadi Finan, which is my mother's gallery, is still a now as well. More focused, more concise timing. But I quit any uh, formal commitments to any entity that is outside of me in a retainer style. So if it's a project, I'll take it on. But as to offer five, three, two days of constant work weekly to someone, I no longer do that. Um, so now Can you my elaborate current- on that? Yes. So right now, as you know, is a very transient time. So I know I no longer am employed. I have chosen to relieve myself of any form of employment so I can create my own and creating my own. So creating my own right now feels shaky, but it's actually quite focused and it's amalgamating or bringing together my knowledge of fine art and fashion to create and to create object, to create I'm going to call it object only, and this object has, you know, subheaders that are 2D artwork, 3D artwork, wearable art, and so on and so forth.:
0: Yeah, that's that like for me, this is the oddity of it all is trying to monetize off of a very vague I don't want to say vague but a very hmm, fickle industry mm-hmm. is that the best That's, word to describe it because it's I've, a very I've been accurate through, word because <laughs> I've been I've experienced something very similar where I personally was in a the best way to describe what I was doing was I was in a corporate job and because of a very sad sandwich yes a very sad sandwich i decided to quit that type of corporate life and kind of take on freelance gigs and i was struggling to move from a place where i had consistent income okay and knowing what might happen to tomorrow until i get like a two weeks notice or i give a two weeks notice to getting creative fulfillment but with an inconsistent salary and trying to accept the commitment that I have done, where I said, I want more challenging jobs, where I get to wear more hats, but still not be fully sure of what my income might look like. And I think that is a case for so many people in creative spaces who graduate university, who come without an education and they're like, okay, we want to create for a living, But also, how are we going to put food on the table, especially in a fickle industry, especially in somewhere like the Middle East that is still a fickle and young industry? Like, how do we do that? How do you monetize off of the skill of having super powerful eyes? Like, how how are we doing that? Tell the kids, (laughs) educate the kids.
1: To be honest, it's tough. It's really tough. And. This is exactly why I was hesitant about tuning in because I'm at such an early stage of doing this. Mm-hmm. But I really believe that if you have a singular focus and you put yourself out there, it will come. Patience, compassion, and commitment—that's what commitment you need. Above, yes.
0: like I'm going to be yes. rough, but like you need to understand and that freelancing. Sorry, like I'm going to preach for the kids. When you say the word freelance you still have to put in the hours. It might not look like sitting on a desk from nine to five, but it still means putting in hours and hours and hours of work. It's kind of like sitting at a desk 24-7.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. It's a lot of hours. And also you need to like develop the language to explain it to your parents because personally for me, like having... Arab Middle Eastern parents, you have to tell them this is how I make money and try to describe it to them is really difficult.
1: <laughs> and, you know what? People who create tech startups make no money for like 3 years. True. But it's very it's very easy. I'm giving you super minimum. You know people who hit the jackpot. Yeah. But it's very easy for people to support that you're creating a tech startup. Bravo Alik, It's always celebrated. Ma'alish. It will come. faraj biiji. Now imagine taking that singular focus and putting it towards something that actually makes your heart sing when you're doing it. Isn't it worth the sacrifice? I mean,
0: it comes, it is to me personally, it is extremely worth the sacrifice. Like I was crying in and out for like a year and a half until I started making money. Yeah. And it's understanding that like it's one a big privilege cuz not everyone can leech off of their parents fridge um two it's something okay this is something that comes like the privilege of being arab is your parents are not going to kick you out of the house most yes. of the time most of the time most of the time again not every that's not the case for every single person yes. but i've i heavily leaned in on that and just be like i had a conversation with my parents where i was like listen i know I know I'm going to still be a burden for a few years, but understand that like something I had to sit them down, have a very serious conversation where I was like, I am going to go freelance and it's going to take a minute for me to be able to make this a consistent thing. But it will be like it will pay off. Just give me time. And I was like, I feel so, like, I'm so sorry. I will be very happy to, like, pay you back. Like, don't, like, just please give me the chance of exploring this. And my parents were, alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah, very understanding. Naturally, they forgot every understanding concept within, like, two days because they're Arab. Like, they cannot help but be angry and problematic all the time. But, like, it took a serious conversation to be like, I will abuse your resources, but give me a chance to, like, try something exceptional and fantastic, and I had to also have that conversation with myself, being like, "You are going to lose your independence for a minute, but that means a lifetime of creative fulfillment." Or that's my imagination of it, because it will have ups and downs.
1: Yes, yes, that's true. I wouldn't use the word abuse because we do come from very blessed situations. That's and, true, and and we're very lucky. Um, I feel very lucky. I feel very lucky to have had the chance to kind of step on my own out of what is constant and, and to be limited in financial independence for quite some time, but it's worth it. And you're either enslaved to the income that you make, it, it really depends on your priorities, you're either enslaved mm-hmm. to the income that you make, you take a damn chance on yourself and it's so worth it it's so worth it the only thing about doing that is that consistency and commitment have to be at the forefront every single morning you have to set a routine for yourself you have to adhere to that routine you have to make it work for you and you know what it might take three months to get that routine settled in maybe more Yeah, but that's okay. As long as you do not plummet into the self-pity position like, oh no, and start comparing yourself to your friends that are doing, I don't know, consulting, then you're good. You're good to go. Talk to people, share that you're scared, share that you are confused. Lean in onto your support and always know that you are safe within yourself. You can support yourself. Any, anyone can get a job if they really want it. Anyone can do anything they set their mind to, you know, but creating your own job title. I guess we can check in in four months and I'll tell you how that's going, but it's going <laughs> great right now. Let's say, let's say it's going great because my time is mine. Yeah. And even though some days I feel really low, I'm functioning from an abundant mindset that says it's going to happen. And there's enough to go around regardless of what positioning you put yourself in, in this world. That's it. Something
0: I want to get out there is that there's a lot of romanticism that happens when you kind of look into the creative industry. Like when we were talking about New York, for example, especially like someone who's a big fan of music like me, where You know, you read about like a band and they're like, yeah, we were like drugged up drunk in like an alley and like we created amazing music and they kind of sell that, you know. But in reality, there's a lot of hours. There's a lot of conception, like there's a lot of time, routine, learning, like these drugged up musicians also had to spend 100 hours learning guitar when they were younger. Like there's there's so much discipline at the core Of creating that must exist at all times it does not come out of our the ether it's a lot of time it's a lot of time and discipline
1: it is it is it's time discipline and surrender to the elements but you know what we don't do enough of we don't if your friend comes to you and tells you i'm quitting my job to do my own thing (laughs) how much compassion and support are you going to give that friend? A lot because a lot. Yes. And when she calls you crying and telling you that she feels horrible and she's not doing financially well and she feels very drained, you're gonna hold her, you know, energetically with a lot of compassion. We lack that to ourselves. We say, Oh, you have to be disciplined. You have to be it's okay to be fluid. It's okay to have a couple of off days. It's okay for the discipline to take time to seep into. your existence
0: no, um, it will take so much time but yeah. like I really hope people understand that it's not it
1: is work it is work it's it's, it's, it's a lot absolutely of work. work it's absolutely work you're not quitting to lounge around your home every day you're quitting because you want to create a niche for yourself even though takes... there will be a lot of lounging I will tell you from experience <laughs> Yes. And that's called procrastination. That's triggered by our perfectionist mentalities, which is a character flaw. It's not something to be celebrated. Perfection is not something to be celebrated. And I'm going to keep saying that to I and myself believe it because perfection is your worst enemy. When you want to produce perfection, then you leave no space for innovation. You leave no space for improvement and you actually lock yourself into a routine of procrastination. So stay away from this idea of I want to create something perfect. Say you want to create something great. You want to create something that comes from you and let it grow from there. You know, I don't know if you're familiar with this, but there's this incredible book called The Artist's Way. And literally, the first chapter of it is igniting you to play like a child. Create bad work. That's literally what it says. Make bad work, destroy it, celebrate it, but just create. Do not sit dormant with your anxiety because anxiety literally manifests when you are inactive and let this idea of what is the perfect thing i'm going to create create doom and gloom around you so discipline allow yourself to make shed the perfection
0: hear that kids do you hear that kids (laughs) please listen to raya stay in school (laughs)
1: listen to raya stay in school eat well and sleep eight hours a night oh god
0: <laughs> eating well sleeping eight hours a night is um it's I a don't thing know. yeah it's a thing i can't wait i'm like i <laughs> my grandfather like he he used to like the thing that he used to be the most proud of was the fact that he used to always wake up before the sun comes out um and he's like he was used that to be vaults. always like that's goals but also that's like goals. the man was born in 1924 and he was that's like goals. living in the age of not internet and like old school type of jobs and stuff and he did very well in his life like mashallah. Um, mashallah. and he used to always be like in you no know, like he like at seven i don't know my grandchildren i don't know Hold my up. children i don't know Goodbye.
1: (laughs) What a healthy man. What a healthy man. Like he lived until he
0: was 97. That's amazing. He lived until he was 97. Like sleeping for him was more important than anything else.
1: (laughs) That's amazing.
0: I wish I can fix my sleep. I still am. It's still New Year's resolution for the last five years. You can fix,
1: again, discipline. You literally can fix anything in your life. It's an hour of spending time with you, learning you. We have memories to learn from the mistakes or the routines that we had, not to dwell on what was. That's truth, you
0: know? Raya, if I were to ask you, I don't know, anything is, can you please tell me how you put an outfit together? And even though I know that would actually take much longer than like the hour that we have been recorded and even more. um, But secondly is, I want you to tell me What is one thing that you want to take out of this interview for yourself? Like, what is something that you personally want to reflect on and not necessarily what you want to give to the audience? What do you want to tell yourself today?
1: Okay, first question, how do I construct an outfit? I literally pretend I'm four years old in my mother's closet. (laughs) And it's a long-term effort of collecting things that are That I think are worth it for the long run. So, you open your closet and you have the best, let's say, color palette to create your painting for the day. So, that's a short, brief answer on the outfit world. What I want to take away from today's talk is actually investigating the Arabic language in our industry, in my industry. And to learn how to talk about my work in Arabic, I think that's the biggest takeaway. It's necessary. It's necessary beyond belief because I, I, yeah, that's my biggest takeaway. My second takeaway is that I can't wait to listen back at this and integrate some of the, some of the realizations that we arrived to together about discipline and being gentle to yourself and being compassionate and, you know, keeping your mind's eye focused on what you seek to create. I think those are, those are my takeaways for today.
0: Thank you so much, Raya, for your time. I hope the rest of your day is not as chaotic as your morning, but just as beautiful. And
1: (laughs) thank you so much for It was unbelievable, Alia. Thank you. First of all, thank you so much for allowing my chaos to be and just accepting it. I really appreciate that. Nothing makes me more insecure than people witnessing my chaos and being like, "Mm, that's not okay," because it is what it is. (laughs) And I hope you have a lovely, lovely day. I can't wait to speak to you soon again. And yeah, I'm curious as what your takeaway from this is. Was it up to par for your amazing? Honestly,
0: you know, you told me something today that I wanted to hear or not wanted to hear, but rather needed to hear two things. One is what is your superpower? Because I, I forget that, you know, I sometimes think I need to be a hard news journalist but at the core of what I do, I know that my weird puzzle of a brain is being able to see something that is extremely random and making something funny or entertaining or interesting out of it and offering different points of views. And I, I didn't realize it was my superpower until someone asked me, what is your superpower? So that was big one. And two, I felt I feel still and felt extremely insecure about my choice of uh, going freelance because even though the day I made that decision and explained it to my parents about what I wanted to do with my future, they were understanding, but I keep forgetting it myself. And even though after a year of quitting, I just started making money and... It took me. I still feel extremely insecure. Like, still, I wake up one morning and I'm like, I'm gonna go back to corporate. I'm gonna go back to corporate. I'm gonna go back to corporate. And I needed to know that the creative industry is not just a random thing. Like, it is work. It is real. It's work. work. And you yes. comparing it to a tech to a tech startup was a very nice.
1: It's way just a of perspective shift. Yeah. It's like, yeah. why is claiming that you're gonna. Because it's also a product, you know, at the end of the day, we're all producing. It's just attaching internally, being really, really believing that what you will produce is of value. Yes. That's that's the secret.
0: I'm going to end on that note. I don't want to say anything more. (laughs) Thank you, Raya. Thank Thank you you so much. I hope you enjoy this and if you have any comments or things that you would like to ask us in the future, please don't hesitate to reach. Give this episode five stars. I know we were an entertaining drive to your job or wherever you are going on this beautiful day or sitting or cleaning your room. Please stay inspired and thank you for listening to Meets with Muses by The Annex. Thank you so much.